Folks, welcome back to Everyone Gets a Trophy. I'm Paul. I'm joined by Randy Boone. He has been more than kind in educating me and the fan base on baseball and some of the finer points of this uh, awesome run that Texas is on. Omaha has had, uh, it's been in existence for 75 years. And Randy, the Texas Longhorns have been there 38 times. I'm not, a, I'm not that great at math, but I'm pretty sure that's over half if uh, memories. I'm not too mistaken on that. Nope, that's good. Uh, so I take it you were not the pitcher who would calculate your ERA between innings like Greg Swindell used to do? I, well, I tried, but I wasn't very good at it. So that's why I thought I was better than what I was. I, I think you operated <laughs> off of the, um, I gave up two runs, that's bad. Or I struck out two dudes and got a, a ground out, that's good. That helped yeah, my yeah. ERA. Yeah, right? my, my, goal, my goal was to look up in the sixth and be like, we're ahead. Yeah, that's that, that good, was that was pretty much what I pitched for. So <laughs> that's a good metric. Uh, we'll tell you what, that's a good segue for the fact that, look, we just got to say it. I don't I don't know if they're juicing the baseball or the context or any of that stuff. We can debate all that stuff some other time. The fact is, this is the greatest offensive Texas baseball team in history. Oh, no doubt. I mean, it I mean, the numbers back it up at this point in time. And uh, I mean, I think approach. Uh, definitely is you know more than part of the equation for sure because I mean I think it, to me I was uh, I, I wanted to I tried to talk my wife into staying up and watching the game with me last night but you know, she wasn't really having it and uh, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me about the whole game just in terms of team like not the game but whatever but you're you're up by 10 in the bottom or top of the ninth I guess Two outs quickly, guy, you know, punches out. Um, I think it was uh, Campbell and Faltini on two pretty good change-ups away. Like, good good pitches. You know, Ardoin goes deep, take, pushes the lead to 10. And then you just get two unbelievably great grinded-out at-bats with two outs and a 10-run lead in the ninth. And I think I think that just speaks to the team's approach at the plate. I mean, it, I mean you see, I mean, it, tons of time, pros, college, I don't care what it is. I mean, guys give that at-bat away. You know, they're trying to trying to hit another bomb or, you know, trying to shoot one in the gap or, you know, they kind of come out of their approach because they're excited about only needing three outs to get to Omaha or whatever. But uh, I mean, it was Hodo and Kennedy. I mean, they go up there and they just grind out another at bat just if as if it was the first inning. Oh, you know, and I, I that was the biggest thing I took away from the game last night in terms of like this team moving forward. It's like they they don't care what the score is, what people are saying, how many people are yelling at them. Uh, although I will say I was probably I, I may have been a little bit wrong. I, I think the atmosphere did play a little bit more of a a role in the uh, in the series than I thought it would. But I also wasn't expecting the atmosphere to be what it was. That was pretty crazy out there. But but those two at bats in the ninth uh, last night, you know, at whatever it was, one o'clock in the morning with a 10 run lead you're three outs away from going to Omaha and those two dudes just grinded out at bats. That, that was pretty impressive to me. I'm so glad you mentioned that Randy. Uh, I noticed that too. And you articulated really well why that's important. Cause that's about process. Yep. And one of the things your old coach, Augie Garrido used to say is take the winning out of the process. 
don't don't worry about wins the winning is going to happen if you honor and respect the process and you just play the game inning by inning and if you do it correctly and properly and you play it hard and you play it smart and you play to the best of your ability at the end of the game you'll look up and more often than not you're going to be the winner no you're you're absolutely right and that's that's kind of what it boils down to most of the time i mean you just you you take care of what you can control you know the old control what you can control um adage or whatever it is but i mean you keep your head down you don't look at the scoreboard you just you know you play the game to your best of your, the best of your ability and uh you know you don't care whether you're down 10 up 10 whatever you know you you owe it to the game and your teammates and your preparation to fulfill your you know your role on the team and you know that's what coach was so big about but um you know it help it helps you in so much other than baseball but i mean moving to the next level where instead of playing you know 50 games a year, whatever it is, you know, you're going to go play 140, you know, hopefully they get to the big leagues and they get to play 162. Um, you know, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days, but you got to be able to leave it at the field. Um, you know, sometimes it's going to take you a little bit longer than, than others to leave it at the field. But I mean, if, if you can just kind of lose yourself in that process, you know, it helps you, helps you, tremendously and in, in moving forward and getting to the next day and getting to the next game and and being able to fulfill your role on the team so how would it feel you're walking out there in that environment everyone's crazy liquored up and you look behind you it's 320 on both corners and you look and there's a six foot chain link fence that's the that's the entire that's the entire back When's the last time you saw that? What uh, uh, Yoakum Pony League? When, well, when did? I, when's the last time you saw that? I, honestly, the last time I saw it was in 2005 at Ole Miss, and that's what it reminded me. I mean, it oh, literally. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have the four foot fence with people hanging over the deal. I mean, but I mean, they opened up their, you know, outfield during BP uh, when we were out there, and uh, I mean, there were, you know, we'll say liquid objects and maybe some solid objects that found their way onto the field uh, during uh, games and or batting practice. But that's kind of what it reminded me of. I mean, it was obviously with the smaller fence and they're like right on top of you. I don't remember the exact dimensions of Ole Mrs. Park, but I don't think it was quite that small. But uh, we, we talked about it a little bit going into the deal. Um, you know, they had a kind of a smaller park and I don't know if it inflated their offensive numbers or not. Um, I think after watching the series the park probably plays smaller than what i thought it did mm -hmm. uh, especially with the wind blowing out but i don't think it really inflated their offensive numbers that much either i think it's a good offensive club um i don't think it's strictly just because they have a small park i mean don't get me wrong i mean it, i mean look at what texas did up there i mean you got guys shooting balls over the right center field gap that typically don't do that um right. but at the same time uh, from, you know, I think they're a better, I'll say this, East Carolina was a better ball club than I thought they were from looking at their stats. Um, you know, the, the, the pitching staff, they had some guys with some pretty good stuff. Uh, the sail, the sailor kid, I was really impressed with him. Um, you, you've always liked sailors. Is that right, Randy? That's right. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. That's why, that's why I was reading it's air force. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, offensively, I think they're a little – I mean, I thought their approach in game one against Hanson – and, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I think everybody 
that has watched Texas over the course of Hanson's career will tell you he didn't have his good stuff game one. You can say whether that's atmosphere or whether he just didn't have his good stuff. I mean, you know, people will be quick to judge that and be like, oh, he didn't handle the atmosphere. It's like, oh, maybe he just didn't have his good stuff. Because I thought there for a little bit he came – to me he was kind of – he got a little rushy, a little jumpy, and you, you saw a lot of up, arm side away, and pull down and in with the breaking ball. Uh, but I thought he was he was kind of settling in there pretty good, uh, staying back a little better. Um, just, but I, I just think it was a situation where he, you know, it was one of those deals where he was grinding it out, didn't have his good stuff. I, I really don't. I mean, I I'm not him, and I wasn't there, but I don't think it was the atmosphere that got him. I mean, that kid's pitched in plenty of big games in his career. Um, he pitched in Omaha last year, obviously in some big games, and he's pitched in plenty more than that. So. I just think it was a situation where, hey, he just didn't have his good stuff that day, and he went out and grinded and gave you what he had. Um, but um, I thought they did have a good game plan against him because I, I was watching the game uh, up at a uh, at a sports bar, and uh, the guy next to me just happened to be a Texas uh, fan and grad, and we kind of started talking about the game. I was like, man, when when's the last time that you remember a count that wasn't 2-2 two, two or 3-2? And it's – you know, I mean, a little bit of that's him not having his good stuff, but a lot of that's their approach. It's, it's kind of what Texas did to the the Air Force guy. Um, you know, they grinded out, got in the bullpen early, and, you know, hey, Texas found a way to maneuver through it. I mean, if you'd have told me going into the series that Hanson and Gordon weren't going to turn in really great starts, you know, probably one of the best situation in the world, but. They figured out a way through it. And then, of course, Stevens last night just comes up huge. I mean, I don't, there's no other way to say that. I mean, that's. Can I, can I dig in on senior. that a little bit with you and ask Go you right some ahead. questions? So Stevens was, he looked really good in the regional in Austin. Yes. Um, Very good. Particularly later as he got warmed up, he had some nasty stuff. He has a couple of outings in East Carolina that are forgettable at best. Then he comes out. I want to talk. I want to. I want to get your understanding as a as a pro pitcher, as a high level college pitcher. How do you handle that rain delay and the constant? I mean, you're warmed up. You're ready to go. How the hell do you turn it back on? I mean, there's a physical piece and there's also a mental piece. Well, it's 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 tough. And it, full disclosure, I didn't catch his outing in the second game, so I really don't know what happened. I just know the box score that he was in for a little bit, and he was out, and then they went to Duplantier. Uh, but, I mean, his first outing could have been a lot better than what it was. I mean, of course, you have the miscommunication in left field that we sling a ball over the outfield fence for a home run on, you know, first hitter. You know, if that's caught, he may go through three innings unhit or unscored upon, excuse me. Um, you know, you just don't know. But you know what happened, and it kind of, you know, it, I'd say it got out of control. But, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the greatest outing of his. Um and like I said, I, I game two, I didn't see it. I just know what the box score says. So I, I was actually, I, I didn't know, you know, whether maybe he tweaked something and they went, made the move, or if they just made a move to make the move. Well, you know, after looking back on it, it looks like a great decision by Coach Pierce to get, you know, to to move on from him and save some pitches so he can go whatever it was, 101, and lay it all out there in game three. But uh, to, to speak to the rain delay, I mean, it's tough, like, you're ready to go. You go through your pregame routine. And, you know, I know he's bounced back and, back and forth as a, as a starter and a reliever. But, uh, you know, as a starter, you go through your pregame routine. You got – when you start throwing, you're going to long toss, go to the bullpen, do all this stuff. So, 
I mean, I'm assuming that he did all that and was ready to go. Um, you know, and then we score four and, you know, pump the brakes and he's got to sit around for however long it was and, and then come back out. Um, and then, you know, of course, I, the, coming out of the break was weird to me. Like East Carolina's down four and they gave up another hit and the guy struck out the guy to end the inning and he goes off celebrating like it was like, you know, the ninth inning and like, Hey bro, you're still down four. Like game just started. And then I, I want to say the next inning, the guy got a single through the six hole, like just a, you know, 18 hopper through the six hole and kind of did the same thing at first base. It was, it was almost like they were trying to manufacture the energy. Like they didn't really believe it. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like, like I, I get the energy aspect of baseball and college is a little different, but to an extent you got to play the game kind of even um and i think that's getting back to stevens that's the biggest thing for him you know he's been there he's been around the block he knows how to start he knows how to relieve it's probably not the first rain delay he sat through i don't i don't know that for a fact but i mean he goes out there and he does what most starters do kind of you know, you feel it out in the first inning. You're trying to get your stuff. You give up. I mean, he didn't. It's not like he got hit hard in the first inning. He got they ahead of the of, first they guy. Were, they were bullshit hits. Yeah, I mean, he, he gets ahead of the part. first guy and gets ahead of the first guy and loses him on the walk, which meant not ideal. But it's not like he was making bad pitches. And the next couple guys just beat some balls in the ground on the. I mean, they. I don't know what's underneath the ground in front of home plate, East Carolina, but it's like the old. I don't know if you're familiar with the old Cleveland Spiders deal like back in the like late 1800s where they like poured concrete underneath the dirt right in front of home plate. And it's like, it's, it's like the old, the, I think that's where Baltimore chop came from, or maybe it was Baltimore. I don't know. Anyway, but I mean, any ball that was hit directly down in front of home plate in that series was like 60 feet in the air, you know, either bouncing over the infield or to the infield. So, I mean, I, I think that's, that speaks to the veteran nature of him saying, Hey, it's not like I just gave up two rockets in the gap. Like yeah. I'm just going to keep pitching. I'm going to keep doing my deal. Minimizes the damage in the first. Gets out of it with one run. And then uh, I think the biggest thing for him. I mean, I that's got to be the most changeups I've seen him throw um, in games that I've paid close attention to. Which with their lineup was a big, big deal with as many lefty lefty sticks in there. But I mean, it, it was probably the best changeup I've seen him have. And it was probably the most that I've seen him throw. And I think that was the big, big factor um, for him being able to stretch that thing out as long as he did because he had them off balance. Uh, and then, you know, he'd, he'd bump that two-seamer in, that little front hip two-seamer here and there. And his slider was pretty good for the most part. I mean, he just pitched his guts off, man. It's what you like to see out of your, out of your senior that wanted the ball and was willing to do. You know, I'm just happy for him. I mean, I – I mean, you can't ask for much more out of him in that situation. I mean, I'm sure he, he probably didn't even want to come out of the game going to the seventh. I and mean, Pierce mm -hmm. probably had to send him up the tunnel and tell him he was coming back and then sneak somebody else on the mound for him. But um, <laughs> you could see that he was uh, he was pretty antsy there in the dugout, which rightfully so. But, I mean, I, I couldn't be happier for that kid. I mean, he comes back for that situation and delivers in the biggest way that he could possibly deliver. And then, obviously, you know, you throw up nine early and, Offense does their part, and just like you scripted it, um, you know, you get two subpar outings from your starters and get to game three where Texas has the advantage, right? R relying on your bullpen, which has yeah, just been nails all year. what we said. What hey, said. Uh, let me ask you two questions. Just baseball idiot quizzing a guy who understands the game. 
Um, when you when you warm up, is is there a standard number of pitches you throw hard before you go on? I mean, like I know some guys might have a, a variance. Like, do you preserve your arm a little bit? Do you ever throw anything? Do you do you throw a ninety mile per hour fastball a few times before you go take the mound in in the warm up, or do you just save it? So everybody's kind of got their own routine. Uh, my my particular one was. Um, you know, full-fledged long toss is kind of like stretch it out. I mean, as you're coming back in, you're doing your typical routine where you're getting into your pull downs, where you're kind of getting on it a little bit and trying to, you know, really feel the extension out front and let it go. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you ever really get to a hundred hundred percent effort there. Um, it just kind of depends on who you are as a pitcher. Um, and then I, I, my, my pregame routine was set. It was, you know, five fastballs, extension side off the plate away to get extension because that was the biggest problem I had was getting to extension. Um, so it was basically five, five, five in, and then I went to this many breaking balls, this many, this and whatever. Um, but to answer your question, I never really turned it loose until about the last five or six pitches in the bullpen, probably. Um, and what I always like to do there was back the catcher up like another three to four feet and try and throw it right through his kneecaps, like below his shins to really make sure I was getting out front and getting downhill. Um, just cause you know, as a sinker guy being able to get out front, is kind of, kind of the, the whole secret to the, the deal for my, for my mechanics at least. So is, I, is, I can't is speak that to standard what, or do, like, do other dudes do that routinely or was that your thing? There, there's quite a bit of guys that I played with that sort of mimic that, in some form or fashion, um, I've seen guys that, I mean, from the time they came out of the dugout, they were breathing fire. And I think they threw everything that they could 120 miles an hour. Yeah. Um, so I don't know it's, it's in terms of what he's done, but I, it, you know, his routine could be completely different from, from what I described, but as a sinker command guy, um, you know, for me, the biggest thing, you, if you come out too amped up, that's kind of why, you know, sinker guys really, really fall into the stigma of you got to get them early. Because when they come out and, you know, you're, you're, you're throwing it through the sink, so to speak, you know, if, if you're supposed to be 90 and you're trying to throw a 93 or if you're supposed to be 93 or whatever, um, you know, you kind of, you, you got to get out there and get on top of it. And you, if you're trying to throw too hard and you push it, it flattens out. That's why a lot of those guys, the MO, I mean, Tim Hudson, I mean, I was just watching the Auburn game a while ago. It's kind of key pops in my head. I mean, his, his MO the whole time he's pitching is like, if you don't get him in the first or second, you're not getting him. Um, and I think that's kind of why it's just, you know, once that arm just gets just a little bit tired to where you just sort of settle in your natural rhythm and your natural flow, that's when the ball really starts to turn over and you get your good action on it. Well, one thing I think most pitchers appreciate is stepping out on the mound with a four-run lead in the first inning, even if there is a rain delay. And uh, a big part of that, I'm going to rattle this off to you, and you tell me how excited you'd be about facing this four or five times in a game. Uh, spots three, four, and six right now for Texas. That's Melendez, Staley, and, and Messinger. Melendez is hitting 396, an 888 slugging percentage 516 on base 32 homers 94 rbi 52 walks 
Staley, who's backing him up, is 375, 680 slug, 438 on base, 19 homers. This is the quietest 19 home runs in, in yeah. Texas history. Poor <laughs> guy. Uh, 61 RBIs. And then Messinger in the sixth spot is 372, 574 slug, 422 uh, on base, 11 home runs, 59 RBI. And Messinger in particular is hitting like 400 plus with runners in scoring position. That, I mean, that, so that has to suck as a pitcher to, to realize you're going to be seeing that every couple of innings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from, from the other side, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, typically you kind of have that meeting before you go into a series or whatever, where it's like, okay, we're going to circle this guy. He's not going to beat us. They're probably circling Melendez still. I mean, rightfully so, but okay. <laughs> Staley's punishing. Okay, don't let, don't let Melendez beat you. And yeah. here comes, you know, three guys behind him. And you got Campbell sitting down there at the bottom. He's on fire right now too. So it's, yeah, as a pitcher, it's not fun uh, at all. I mean, you're, you're looking at that lineup and it's, it just keeps coming at you. I mean, there's no, there's no breathers. There's no breaks. Uh, like I said, there it's good at bad after good at bad. They're constantly grinding. If you make good pitches on them, you make good pitches on them. They're like, okay, fine. You got me that time. I get three more of these. Well, and, and what's crazy and not to disparage any prior UT baseball teams in any way, but in classic UT baseball teams, even really, really good ones. I mean, even national championship ones, there were two, three guys in the lineup that were a break. They were. Yeah, a break. I, I don't. I won't disagree with that. I mean, there, there's definitely. I mean, you. Well, I will say this: in some of those teams, the guy that you thought was a break caught a heater. Um, a yeah. lot David Marole in the world. David Marole. You know, he he was not the greatest offensive player throughout the the regular season, and then you know he turns into just. You can't get him out in the world Spreaking series. Hank Aaron. I mean that. Yeah, I mean that. That dude's probably the best defensive player that I've ever played with, regardless of position level, whatsoever. Um, and I mean, you know, you, you saw his, you know, his his power potential in in practices and whatnot. But I mean, he, you know, his his numbers for that year were his numbers for that year. And he got to Omaha, and you couldn't get the guy out. Yeah. And, you, and in addition to the fact that he still continued to be probably the best defensive player that I've ever played with. I, I've heard that about Marole, which was basically um, I knew a friend through a friend. I knew a dude on the team and I was like, what's the deal with Marole? And he's like, he's not coming off the field. Like, yeah, no, he's, he's like, he is such a good defensive player. It's, it's like, it's saving us. He's going to save us 15 runs this year. Like you can't take him off the field. And yeah, so but, I was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. The, the infield defense on that team was dumb. I mean, I mean, obviously Marole was a third baseman his whole career, but I'm, I mean, if you'd have put him at short, he'd have been fine. Mm. Robbie Hudson played short the year before. Seth was at second the year before moved over to short. So I mean, you essentially have three shortstops out there in the middle. And then I don't know, chance Wheelis picked everything. I mean, it's like he had the, you know, some sort of fly swat over there at first base where I mean, he, he picked literally everything he could pick. So, I mean, that, that defensive infield was crazy. But um, but to get back to it, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I you could say that there was a couple guys in every lineup that, you know, were probably in there for their defense or in there for for another reason other than their bat. And, I mean, this lineup, one through nine, there's no breaks. Well, there was a guy who was that break in the lineup early in the year, Dylan Campbell. He was – as late as March 31st, the end of the Texas Tech series, Randy, he was batting 178 with zero home runs. 
Right yeah. now, he's batting 271 with 10 dingers. Yeah, you you just knew, I mean, and credit to the coaches for, for sticking with him. And, well, you, and you talked about out. process. Right. That's, I mean, that's you, you honoring that, process over just seeing the results, right? Yeah, you knew that wasn't going to continue for the whole year. I mean, you saw what he could do last year. He, I mean, I, I, he went to, I don't know where he, I think he played uh, summer ball in California um, and hit like 400 over there. I mean, the, the kid swings too good to have rode that out for the, the whole season. I'm glad to see him putting it back together. Um, Cause I mean, it, it, you knew he was going to hit and like I said, credit to the coaching staff and everybody for sticking with him and giving him the opportunity. Cause you know, he's come on of late and I, I don't see it slowing down. I mean, he's, he's too good of a hitter. He's got too good of a swing for, for that to be who he was. Yeah. Pretty good dude to have in your eight, eight spot. Uh, yeah. I'd, I'd say they feel pretty good about their eight hole hitter right now. And then old Faltini. Look, Faltini strikes out a lot. That's a fact. He yeah. swings for the fences. Hey, he's got 15 home runs, people. I, I hear the criticism. I read the criticism. He's got 15 homers, and half of his hits are for extra bases. Yeah, and no, he's our he, nine he, hitter. I guess we'll take that, right? Yeah, no, he's doing damage when he makes contact. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got some swing and miss to him. But, I mean, that's kind of part of baseball now, honestly, from an offensive approach side. I mean, there's going to be some guys with swing and miss. and. Say what you you turn that guy loose at shortstop and let him do what he's capable of out there. I mean he's he's big time, big time, big time defensive shortstop. If he can do some damage for you, and I mean you got to live with the swing and miss a little bit. Uh, your nine hole guy. Yep. Okay, I'll take it. All right. So I know your time is valuable. I don't want to. I don't want to do a mega uh, podcast to you here, but this is the pop. This is the bracket of hate in Omaha. Randy, it's AM, it's OU, it's Notre Dame, which not a traditional rival, but plenty of hate there. And then on the other side of the bracket, one of the hottest teams in the country is Arkansas. There's a chance you could see them on the other side. Um, and AM, you know, to their credit, is playing well. They they always had a rep for you know putting together these sort of regular season teams and then choking pretty hard in the postseason. Um, OU, obviously, we're familiar with they're they're dangerous. Uh is I mean I don't want to re resort to like cliches here, but is this first opening game against Notre Dame? Is it more about Texas than what Notre Dame does? Uh, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, I really don't know. Because other than the fact that they beat Tennessee, who was the self-proclaimed best baseball team in the history of the world, thank God, um, man. I'm I'm not a huge Notre Dame fan, but I was on board for for that to happen. Did you I see just, the Danny Cannell tweet? I did. I did. That was, uh, that was pretty interesting. That was good awesome. Job. Uh, good job, Danny there. That was, that was pretty awesome. Uh, there was a couple more of them that were a little more poignant than that. Yeah. You probably can't repeat on air, but, uh, but I, uh, I agree with him on that. I, I'm not a fan. Like, I think we talked about, it. I was like, Hey, I'm all about having fun and everything, but I think those guys are a little, little, little much for my, my taste, but you don't uh, like the cool bat flips every time you get a home run and yeah, well, or a single, or a single, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, just a bleeder up the middle and we're flipping it to center for doing, you know, anyway. Um, it, you, you know, I would have tried to do that if I could have hit you on like pitch number 53 <laughs> true, true. in the Boone Wadlington challenge. Yeah. Well, that, that'd be acceptable then, but yeah, not so much. In, <laughs> I in, wouldn't go back to bat after doing it. I, I know what would happen to me. So yeah, that would be the end of the challenge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I think the whole World Series is about Texas and not about anybody else. I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat I was going into the Supers. I mean, if they play the well they're capable of playing, they can beat everybody there. 
if they don't, I'm sure that everybody there is capable of beating them. Yeah. But I like this team's grit and they're going to keep showing up and keep coming at you. And they don't care if they're down by 10 or up by 10, they're going to keep by, you know, keep battling and keep grinding. Um, I got to think that you're probably going to see a little better effort out of Hanson and Gordon this time. Um, not that they threw the ball poorly. Like I said, I just, I think East Carolina had a pretty good approach and ballpark got them a little bit and, you know, some, some circumstances didn't go in their favor. I thought the, um, the stuff was fine out of both of them. Pete made, like I said, Pete just kind of had that deal where he was sort of up and away down and in just sort of rushing a little bit, but I mean, Gordon threw the ball good for, what was it? Four innings. And then just kind of ran into trouble there. So, I mean, I, I'm not really, you know, I, they're definitely capable of going out there and throwing seven good innings against anybody in this deal. So, well, I, like I said, I, I like their chances. I mean, I, if, if I'm on the other side, I don't want to see us. Um, but it's baseball, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, well, the, the frustrating thing about baseball to a mongoloid like me, who's football, boxing, MMA focused is, what do you mean you don't have your stuff? Like, you know, what what linebacker ever gets to say that after a bad game? I didn't have my stuff today, coach, right? But that that is a legitimate thing to say in baseball. What well, I, I threw a Pat Hinkin thing out the other day, and and I'll throw another one here. Um, his, his whole deal was, you know, if you make it to the big leagues, you're going to make 30 starts ish, you know, whatever. So you're going to you're going to feel bad for 10. You're going to feel OK for 10 and you're going to have your good stuff for 10. Hmm. You better win eight of the ones that you feel good in. You got to figure out a way to win half the ones you feel okay in. And then don't lose all 10 that you feel terrible in. <laughs> and you can go win 15 games. Yeah. You win 15 games, you're going to make money for a long time. They'll keep you around. And so that that's kind of the deal there is, I mean, if, if you don't have it, just grind it out. Don't give up the big inning. Give up one. You know, you give up a leadoff double and you're up by three. Swallow your pride. Don't pitch to keep that guy at second base. Pitch to not let the guy at the plate score. Give up your one. Move on to the next inning. You know, it's, it's things that come with the experience. It's easier said than done from a guy that's, you know, sitting on his couch. Um, it's not out there with live bullets flying. But, uh, you know, if, if you can slow it down and get to that point, especially if your offense gives you a lead. I mean, your offense gives you a lead, then you're, you know, you're playing with house money at that point. Well, You've offered some awesome wisdom, and I want to offer some more wisdom here to listeners that's applicable to all of you, whether you're sitting on your couch or you're going to take the mound. And that is a guy who's always got his stuff, Randy. He's not one of these frenetic baseball players and, you know, oh, the wind, uh, the humidity's high, the barometric pressure's off, my, my trick elbow's hurting. I don't have my stuff today. Gabe Winslow always has his stuff, Randy. Isn't that true? Unless, unless he's camping. Unless he's camping, he's out in West Texas right now. But you know what? He's still doing deals out in West uh, he's, Texas. He's still on the phone, I'm sure. So. I just had a listener uh, tell me about that. He's in Big Bend State Park at 10 at night uh, helping a guy construct a deal. So if you want to do that, you can reach out to Gabe at 832-557-1095, or you can go to mortgagesbygabe.com. Tell him that we sent you. Tell him uh, you want the Randy Boone special. He's going to take extra special care of you. And uh, hey, Look, interest rates are up. I don't know if you follow the markets, uh, Randy, but all, all of our pets' heads are falling off right now. A little Here's bit. Here's the bottom line. Bit. If you got to buy a house, you got to buy a house. 
And there's ways to get out of that. And there is going to be a brighter future someday soon. And that's when the refi comes in. And Gabe's a great consultant on that. He's pretty good at reading the tea leaves. But if you got to do a loan now more than ever, when rates are going up, is when you need the differentiating mechanism of a guy who knows his stuff. That's Gabe Winslow. Give him a call. 832-557-1095. And Randy, he always has his stuff. His slider always has movement. The curve. Perfection, the fastball always touching the high 90s, but with control and a nice little movement on it. That, that's what the guy that I created on MLB The Show has. You're right. That's right. Exactly. Well, you know what? As a commentator, you are that guy. You've been awesome, Randy. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. You've given me an education in baseball, and I hope you've done the same for the readers of Inside Texas and, of course, the great listeners for everyone gets a trophy. So for Randy Boone, I am Paul Wadlington saying, Omaha, University of Texas at Omaha, our favorite satellite campus. Hook them. Here we go. Hook them. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, that's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. Do you need a realtor in Central Texas? Of course you do. We all need a realtor in Central Texas. Even those of us who live in Dallas or Houston or San Francisco or Denver, Colorado, you need to go to Central Texas anyway. And the reason is Laura Baker is a fantastic realtor. She's great at what she does. She's a member of the elite Andy Allen team for Keller Williams. You can reach her at 512-784-0505. Talk with Laura if you're thinking about putting your house on the market. This is a great time to get market comps. Uh, if you're looking to buy in the market, you need all the help you can get. Call Laura and it's 512-784-0505.